0: Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Now, I know some of y'all, and it's probably the people who uh, put, your, put your Christmas uh, decorations up around Labor Day. Some of y'all are already done with Christmas, right? Um, some, how many of you, admit it, how many of you packed up your Christmas decorations yesterday evening? Anybody? Be careful to admit it? Okay. I see a few people. Okay. Now, truth be told, we all know that song, uh, the 12 days of Christmas. We've misunderstood it. Most of us just focus on it. Focus on the fact that this song is about a guy who decided to give, um, his true love 30 birds. Right. But the 12 days of Christmas start on Christmas, right? They go from, (laughs) there you go. They go from Christmas to epiphany. Okay, which is January six, traditional date when the wise men come, and so it's okay. One, it's okay to put your Christmas decorations up late, and to leave them up even later, right? And if you leave those Christmas lights up, eventually they just become Groundhog Day lights, and then Valentine's Day lights, and then you just you just leave them up year round. But so it's okay to still be celebrating Christmas, and there's a lot of things I love about Christmas. Um, not the weather, right? Because although I guess. Uh, I don't know, Christmas in Texas, the Christmas weather always ends up meaning grilling Christmas dinner in shorts and flip-flops on your back porch, right? It's never, you're never bundling up. But there's the food, right? And there's a lot more freedom than it. Thanksgiving. You feel like you're locked into certain foods, but the, um, the foods for Christmas all over the place. You can do steak, you can do ham, you can do turkey, you can do anything. Um, and then there's, then there's the sides. It's like the four food groups of Christmas are uh, the main course, the sides, the desserts, And then there's the Christmas candy, right? There's like the extra thing, right? And people just go to feast all day long. My favorite part of Christmas, though, is the football. It seems like starting, you know, middle of December, you just can't turn the TV on without there being a football game. It gets me through the dry spell of when, till when pitchers and catchers report at the end of February. So, um, but, but yeah, every time there's a, every day there's a, a bowl game and there's always that one family member right, who, who is tired of there being a football game. Oh, who's playing this this day, right? Oh, who's playing in the salad bowl or the potato bowl or uh, which one is this one? And they always have that comment, right? Football is such a stupid game. It seems so pointless. Um, all they do, you know, 22 grown men fighting over a pigskin, all to do what? To run the ball across lines. line. This is so pointless. And you kind of just want to, you know, pinch their lips together and say, shh, let people enjoy things. <laughs> but they're not wrong, Right There's, there is a pointlessness to sports. Somebody once said very accurately that uh, that football reflects two of America's worst, uh, worst characteristics: violence and committee meetings. So, <laughs> right. Um, but but we, we, to to be honest though, the 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 pointlessness of sports is kind of the point. That's the point. Let me put you in situations where you can learn to train your body and, and train your mind, to work as a team, to receive instruction, right? All of those things. Let me put you in a situation where you have to learn to handle, to be, to be humble in victory uh, and to be gracious uh, in defeat. Let me put you in situations where all of that happens over something that doesn't matter. So that when you are in a situation where it does matter, you know how to handle it. One of the best examples of this is the penalty unnecessary roughness, right? Uh, Football is a rough game, right? Somebody heard somebody say one time, uh, football is not a contact sport. Basketball is a contact sport. Football is a collision sport. And and, and so I remember the first time I heard unnecessary roughness, like, well, football is rough. How can you penalize somebody for being rough in football? Well, that's the point. You're supposed to train your body to handle when, to not let your emotions get out of hand and to know how to turn it off and turn it on so that when you're in a situation where your emotions are inflamed, you know how to not respond physically or verbally in an abusive way. You see, we've lost that, that, that nature with our society. We live in a society that struggles with unnecessary roughness. Go look at our culture and we realize we've lost that lesson. We haven't learned it well. From the, the roadways where, where, where it seems like road rage is becoming more and more of a problem to, to online where we're just mean and bullying. And we, and we have all these initiatives in our schools to combat bullying. We don't know where it comes from, but the truth is we have an unnecessary roughness problem. The answer to that is the biblical characteristic of gentleness, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We are, uh, we are going through a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And these are nine virtues uh, that we desperately need, but we can't manufacture on our own. They're nine traits that God promises to grow in us if we will seek the Spirit and, 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 and pursue him. Paul says in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. You know, gentleness is a word that gets a bad rap. We associate it with with weakness or being a wimp, but it's none of those things. In fact, the command to gentleness assumes power that is being reined in. It it assumes that you have strength that has to be learned to be controlled. Otherwise, it's not praiseworthy to to demonstrate it. Um, It's a characteristic that Jesus himself had. The word in the, in, the, in, the, in the original New Testament in Greek that Paul, that Paul uses in Galatians to talk about gentleness is a word that can also be translated as humility, humble, or meekness. Okay, maybe your Bible says, um, you know, blessed are the meek or blessed are the humble or blessed are the gentle. All three of those are interchangeable. You might ask, well, why, how come the Bible uses humble and gentle as the same words? How come they're interchangeable? And how do I know which is which? One of the best definitions i ever heard said this. Gentleness is humility in action. Gentleness is humility in action. Uh, Humility is a state of being, and the way you express that humility is in gentleness. All right? And so uh, when Jesus says in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls— You know, maybe your Bible says, if you look at the New American Standard, it actually says, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in hard." Those two words together, gentle and humble. He says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Again, that phrase, blessed are the humble, can also be translated, blessed are the gentle. And that phrase, um, they shall inherit the earth, what Jesus is saying is, um, you want to know the key to success, you wanna know the key to, um, to being a successful person in this world, pursue gentleness. What's even cooler is this line that Jesus gives about blessed are the gentle, he's actually quoting the Old Testament. In Psalm 37, this is a direct line. Psalm 37:11 says, but the humble, the gentle, the meek, whatever, you, however you wanna say it, will inherit the, the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. This Psalm, Psalm 37, gives us a way to look at and understand um, how we go about pursuing gentleness, what it looks like. In fact, it, it shows us the four errors that we all commit uh, in, in, that make us not gentle. The problem is we, we know what gentleness is. The problem is we don't need to have it defined for us. We just very frequently feel ourselves excused from needing to show it. Right, We find ourselves in situations where it's other people's problem that they made us respond in a specific way. Or this, this psalm shows us four errors, four mistakes, four things that, problems that cause us to, to have lack of gentleness. And it shows us the things we need to do to begin to cultivate these things more. So first, gentleness requires trust. Gentleness requires trust. Psalm 37, one and two says this, don't be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who, who do wrong for they will quickly wither like grass and wilt like tender green plants. You see, the problem that, that, that produces a lot of lack of gentleness in our lives is envy. We see something that somebody else has and we want it. Maybe we feel like we deserve it. Maybe we feel like they don't deserve it. And so we, it puts us in a bad mood. Maybe we respond negatively to that person. Or maybe we just end up being in a sour mood with everybody and we end up being mean to everybody around us all the time. Envy has a way of corrupting our soul and making us respond with lack of gentleness. Makes us respond harshly to the individual, harshly to those people around us, harshly to people we have have to live with. And the response to this is simply um, in Psalm 37, three, it says, trust in the Lord and do what is good. Trust God. See, God hasn't deprived you of anything that, he, that you don't need, right? We sang this morning, great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. Um, it is so hard sometimes to trust that God has you exactly where he wants you to do the work he has for you in that spot. And you are not intentionally being deprived of anything that God has for you. And so trust God and let let that trust in God kill that lack of envy, but also let it also kill your willingness to sometimes sin to try and achieve what you think you deserve. You see that second part, trust in the Lord and do good. The and do good is kind of the hard part because you will find yourself in a place where you think, well, he, he doesn't deserve it. He was a cheat. He was a thief. He was, he was lying. He was being political work. He was whatever. And that's how he achieved. Maybe if I was more like that, then I would be able to, to, to climb the ladder or achieve the things or whatever. No, do good. It is a sacrifice sometimes to do good, especially when you think you see the connection between sin, some small sin, and the ability to achieve what you always thought you wanted to achieve. The problem is envy. The response, gentleness requires trust. You You will respond harshly to the world around you unless you trust God that he has you where he wants you right to do the work that he has for you in this spot. Second, gentleness requires focus. Gentleness requires focus. The psalm goes on to, uh, to talk about a second error that, that causes us to, to respond poorly to the world around us. And that, that error is distraction. The world is full of all of these shiny objects and we get, and we get so focused on getting those things that we, um, that we want them so bad and we end up craving them and we end up treating other people uh, poorly to try and get them. Somebody once said uh, that God created this world in such a way where we're supposed to love people and use things, and we flipped it. We use people and love things. In fact, we frequently use people to get to the things. Uh, Psalm 37 says this, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. Because the truth is, what you focus on ends up consuming you. Period, paragraph, end of story. What you focus on ends up consuming you. If you focus on something you're afraid of, you will become more and more afraid. If you focus on something or someone that frustrates you, you will become more angry, okay? And we'll give it to you, right? None of us is perfect. And so if you focus on something you don't like about me, you'll find it, it's really there. And you will come to not like me more. If you focus on something that you think will bring you fulfillment, you will convince yourself that you cannot live without it. It's one of the things I love about Kings and Baptist Church, our mission statement, right? Inviting all people to experience true fulfillment in Jesus Christ, one home at a time. The promise that you will never ever experience true fulfillment in any other place other than in a relationship with Jesus. And so all those other things that God created, (coughs) excuse me, they're, uh, they're good things. But they're not great things. And when we exalt them to the place of greatness, we end up putting them in a place where we'll, we'll break our own hearts and end up frustrating the people around us as we search after them to try and attain something that was never supposed to fill us up. You know, 1 John, one of my favorite passages that, that describes um, how, how we sometimes distort the world, the good things the world has made, um, 1 John 2.16 describes uh, the fact that what's in the world is, is passing away and he describes it as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. These three things seem to be three primary fo- focuses that, um, that sometimes distract us. Okay, you, and you're probably prone to one, or one of these. These are things that, ways we can look at the world and be distracted and, and, and pursue those things instead. The first, um, lust of the flesh, to focus on pleasure. To focus on pleasure. This can be, you know, seeking after food or experience. The moment you say, if only I could experience something, you have focused on this thing and you will break your heart trying to achieve it because it will never fill you up. the lust of the eyes, focus on possessions. You know, you get, you get so focused on, uh, on thinking, you oh, know, my life is good, but man, it'd be so much better if I had this, right? Think about, you know, I've heard people say that our commercials are, are modern day parables. They, they tell stories about the, about the life you can have if only you possessed this thing. But the truth is, um, Obituaries read differently than commercials about what constitutes a fulfilled life. You know, Um, when you focus on possessions, you end up becoming distracted. And the boastful pride of life, the focus on position, if you think you will be fulfilled and find contentment, if you think that what's gonna fill you up is, is finally getting to a place where people can see how smart or intelligent or successful or whatever you are, when you try to elevate yourself over another person and say, oh, if I could just climb the ladder and be to this level, then therefore I would know that my life matters and I, and I have a point and then I can, I, I'm successful. The psalmist says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That means a couple of things. One, it says, focus on God. Okay, stop focusing on the world and how you can use the world to fill up that hole. Um, seek fulfillment in the one place it can be found and he will give you the desires of your heart. Doesn't mean, and then therefore he will give you uh, your wish list. He will satisfy and fulfill like some Santa all the things you want for Christmas. Um, What it means is if if you seek God, you'll find him right? Seek, you know, seek the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you as he sees fit. But if you seek God, he will give you the desires of your heart. Also, I think it means if you seek God, he will begin to change the desires of your heart to conform to what he has for you. Okay? You will not feel pressure to, to, to run roughshod over everybody else to try to achieve the things that you think you need or try to get the things you think you deserve or to try and experience the things you know will, will make you happy. You won't be, be eager to do all of those things because God is slowly changing and conforming uh, you to be like his son, Jesus Christ. Distraction is a problem and gentleness requires, requires focus on what ultimately, ultimately matters. Third, gentleness requires surrender. Gentleness requires surrender. The psalmist says, um, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. He's talking to a person uh, who is who's trying to control the situation and steer his life the way, where he wants it to go. Um, the person, uh, the error here is not envy, it's not distraction, it's control to think you can control the destination of where your life is headed. And when you feel like you are in charge or should be in charge, you will bully and browbeat. You will, you will yell and scream. You will manipulate and control situations to try and produce the outcomes that you want to see. Commit your way to the Lord, which means surrender, surrender what you thought your life was going to look like. Because guess what? Uh, Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor on it, labor in vain. Unless the Lord keeps watch over the city, those who keep watch, keep watch in vain. Right, what did, what did Jesus tell Paul on the Damascus road? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. What is the, um, writer, the letter that Jesus writes to the church at, at Philadelphia calls himself, Jesus calls himself the one who has the key of David, the one who opens and no one shuts and who shuts and no one opens. Which means if God does want you to have some, something, if God doesn't want you to head somewhere, you're not going to get there no matter how hard you try. There's also a great promise and hope to remember that if God does want you to, to achieve something, there's nothing, there's nobody else who will prevent you from achieving it. That your life, right now, whatever you think is complicating your life, whatever you think is, is frustrating in your life, whoever you think is hemming you in and, and, and ruining your life, your life is not in their hands. your life is in God's hands. Once you realize that, once you surrender, you find yourself capable to be more truly gentle. This doesn't mean giving up on your dreams. It means, it means surrendering your dreams into a hand, the hands of a God who loves you, who has a big plan that's coming true and calls you to be a part of it. Think about what Psalm uh, or Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Realize that there's a way that seems right to you, but in the the end, it leads only to death. True gentleness. You will find yourself truly able to be gentle when you can surrender the, the need to control a situation and to direct the process to achieve a specific outcome. And last, maybe most convictingly, gentleness requires patience. Gentleness requires patience. Psalm 37, seven says, be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. The translation there is probably better rest in the Lord, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Uh, Be honest. The last time you were rude or harsh with somebody was impatience at the root of it. A lot of times we, are in a, we're in a, we live in an instant culture where we are constantly rushing places. We can't get there fast enough, right? We, we leave without a moment to spare. We pull out, we pull out our, 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 our mapping apps on our phone and we try to figure out exactly the moment we can get there and exactly when we need to leave and exactly how much time to get ready. And when things gunk up the works, when somebody isn't, doesn't get their teeth brushed or their shoes on or whatever, uh, then all of a sudden, Everything comes, uh, we start yelling. We think, we think that our yelling or our criticism or our advice or our passive aggressive comment is the thing that's gonna speed people up to help, to help us get to where we need to go, right? Um, impatience is such a problem. We don't realize how much of it. We've had this drive to get places. It's not maybe, maybe it's not just um, on a daily basis trying to get to church or to work or to school or wherever on time. There's also an impatience about life. So many times, a lot of us have this internal calendar we have built into our our lives—a schedule that we feel like we're behind on, and we're constantly pushing ourselves and other people to achieve these things. And we don't know where we don't know uh, where it comes from, but it causes us to be really cruel to people, really mean to people. We blow up at people um, because we are rushing, incur- um, desperately. Rest in the Lord. Rest. Wait. Wait expectantly for Him. Wait. Wait, expect God to do something. Expect that God is at work. Expect that God has a plan. Ex- expect that God has placed you where exactly where he wants you. And maybe, just maybe, you are missing the real work he has for you by being focused on some other place you'd rather be with some other people doing some other thing. So many times we, uh, we wish we were somewhere else doing something else with someone else. And the three hardest words for any of us to hear are "here." Now, and this. You know, uh, one of my uh, one of my favorite authors, guy named G.K. Chesterton, said this: "An adventure is only an inconvenience rightly considered, and an inconvenience is only an adventure wrongly considered." To be honest, the last time you were impatient with somebody, last time you got frustrated or upset with somebody and impatience was at the key, the truth is you were trying to get somewhere else. You had an expectation of where you wanted things to go and they were inconveniencing you in some way and you blew up. But guess what? You have an opportunity to embrace the adventure of what the day is gonna look like instead. And you have to remember that. There are times I come home from uh, at, at, at the end of work and, I, and, I'll, and my wife will say, how things go? What is What was your... Um, how was your day like? Did you, how'd it go? It's like, I it didn't go great. I didn't get any of this stuff. I needed to get done, done. You know, well, why not? Well, I sat down at my office and the phone rang and then someone walked in, they needed to talk and they, and they, and then I, and then I went to lunch and some, and we had to go a little bit longer because someone had, and, and I tell all of the things that I had the list of the things that I thought today was going to include. And I crossed none of those things off my list. And my wife has to remind me, she said, Steve, you didn't do the work you thought you were going to do today, but you did the work that God had for you today. And it's so important that we learn to hold our lo- lists loosely. Make those lists. There's nothing wrong with planning, right? James says, uh, you know, Instead say, "If the Lord wills, we'll go into such a place. Make your list. It's nothing wrong with planning the future and planning your day. But to hold those lists, hold those lists loosely, because very, very very likely the work that God has for you on any given day is is not the work that you were expecting for yourself. And it may just be that the inconvenience, the person that gets in your way while you were along on your destination to some other place, that that was the real meeting God had for you, right? So many times we miss the real meeting. Some of y'all know that, that Paul wrote the book of Romans because he was trying to take a mission trip to Spain, We don't know if he ever made it to Spain, but we do know that his desire to go to Spain on a mission trip, put him on a road that led him to write one of the greatest letters in the new Testament. Maybe God has you hurrying on a path to go someplace else because he knows there's somebody else that's going to be on that path and you're going to meet him right now to be able to be willing to be late to allow yourself to be interrupted, to see every inconvenience like that, not as an inconvenience, but as an adventure, an opportunity to embrace the real work that God has for you today. How's this hitting you today? I'm not gonna ask how gentle of a person you are. I'm not even gonna ask when was the last time you exhibited a little bit of unnecessary roughness probably yesterday when you were putting together some tool that didn't have the right batteries or some toy that needed some special tool that you couldn't find. I wanna ask you, the last time you were harsh with somebody, what was the cause? What was the cause? Were you jealous of of what uh, they had and you wanted? Were you envious of them? And maybe you treated someone else harshly because you were envious. Were you distracted in seeking something that you thought would fill you up and rather than seeking God and what God had for you? Maybe you need to return to delighting in the Lord and see if God doesn't fill up what's lacking. Were you trying to control something that was getting out of hand? Was your life descending into chaos and you were trying to steer it in towards a specific direction and it wasn't happening? And you found yourself tempted to lie, to manipulate, to strong arm, to try and get what you wanted and to make life turn out the way you thought. Maybe you need to just learn to Surrender. To lay it all on God's hands and say, God, make of it what you will because I can't figure it out anymore. Or maybe just like the rest of us, you're just flat out impatient, always hurrying someplace else and you missed the opportunity to bless and be blessed right here, right now with all of those inconveniences that gunk up your plans. And maybe you need to learn to wait, to rest, to cease striving and to wait expectantly for God. Let's pray. Father, we admit it that we live lives of unnecessary roughness, that we are not gentle people. And as oftentimes as we try to be gentle, uh, we realize it's a trait that has to come from you. You have to grow it in us by the power of the spirit as we seek your kingdom. Father, show us those ways in which our, our heart um, is hurting and w- ways in which it 's distracted and ways we fall into error that produce in us uh, a feeling that we 're excused from being gentle with the world around us. Show us those ways in which envy is our problem in which we covet the things that other people have and we want and feel like we deserve and that feel like that excuses us uh, in being harsh with other people around us. Or to clarify our vision and show us how we get distracted uh, by all of the, all of the good things you built the world uh, with but all the ways in which we can turn those into things to live for primarily. Help us not to see experience or possessions or position as ultimate source of fulfillment, but help us to seek you. And as, you, as we seek you, Father, shape our desires. Help us to be more like you and to want the things you want for us. Father, show us how maybe we, um, we need to surrender. We've tried to control for far too long. And we need to accept the life you have for us, the adventure you have for us rather than seeing it as a a constant barrage of inconveniences. Father, we know that that we can't be gentle unless you change our hearts. Change our hearts, Father. Help us be the people you've called us to be. Grow this up as a fruit of the spirit so that we can live as people who um, express gentleness as we seek your kingdom. I pray this in your son's name, amen.